John 15, 1 through 4. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. John 15, 1 through 4. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You may be seated. Now you can hear me. I'm very grateful that you're with us today. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted to have you, and we encourage you to come back whenever you possibly can. We'll be meeting tonight at 6 o'clock, and I hope that you'll be able to come and be with us then. Um, Tonight, we will begin a Sunday night seminar, and I want to talk about the New Testament church. I want to talk about the different churches that you read about in the New Testament, the different congregations. And I think it will prove to be a very helpful study when we look at the churches of the Bible. I first thought, well, we'll look at uh, the church at Antioch, which is one of my favorite studies, uh, because it starts with the letter A, and so we'll start with the church that starts with the letter A. But I decided, no, let's start with the first church. Church of Jerusalem. So I thought a little better about it. So tonight I want to be with you and to study about the great church of the New Testament, the Church of Jerusalem. There's a lot that needs to be studied about that congregation, and I hope that you'll be with us for that Bible study. Sunday night seminar is a little different from just a sermon. We try to drill down a little deeper into a subject, study it a little more carefully, a little deeper than what we might in a sermon. So it has a lecture element about it, and, but yet at the same time it has a sermon-type element about it. And I really didn't know what to call that kind of, of um, venue, that kind of delivery, so I just called it a Sunday night seminar. And I hope that you'll be with us. We do this uh, quite often from time to time, and, and uh, I encourage you to be with us tonight. I'm always very happy to be with you during our worship service. It's always encouraging for me to hear you. Uh, be involved in these beautiful songs. Thank you for leading us in those songs, Jonathan, and thank you for the prayers which have been offered. Scott, I thank you for the prayer and, and for everyone who is involved in our worship today. I'm very grateful. As you can imagine, this allegory that we read in John chapter 15 is a very striking one. And what really impresses my mind is this statement, abide in me. I don't know how many times I've read that, Perhaps you've been the same way. You've read it a lot of times. Perhaps you haven't really thought about it much as to what the statement actually means. Jesus would go and be with his apostles. 
And it would be the last time he could be with them all together before the crucifixion. And he told them to prepare for the Passover. And they did, and he goes into the upper room, and of course there was no one there to perform the oriental custom of washing the other's feet or the guest's feet. And they would rinse their feet because of the dusty roads and that kind of thing and the way that they would go from place to place, but no one's there to do that. And I have a sense where in reading John, Jesus shames them by girding on a towel and washing the apostles' feet. It's in that particular time that the betrayer is discussed. He washes the apostles' feet, but he says, one of you still is unclean. And that discussion about Judas, who would later, shortly, betray the Lord. And then the discussion as they sat down at table. Uh, There Jesus takes bread, and he tells them, this bread represents his body. And he takes that cup, and he tells them that this fruit of the vine represents his blood. And he institutes a new feast. No longer would God's people be observing a Passover, a Jewish Passover. But now they would be observing the real Passover, that the Old Testament Passover was to prefigure. Jesus Christ, the Passover Lamb. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through 28, Jesus institutes the memorial feast which we have observed today, as New Testament Christians did in the first century. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and various passages. As they leave the upper room, Jesus always had this message with apostles while they were walking from place to place. The fancy word for that is called a peripatetic. A peripatetic type of teacher is a teacher who will walk along with the students and teach them and look at things here and look at things there and then draw comparisons and lessons from it. And some scholars seem to say that a great vine was there and he looks at that and he gives us this wonderful lesson in chapter 15. I am the vine. The Father is the vine keeper. You're the branches. The only way that you can survive, the only way that you can grow is to receive nourishment from the vine as a branch. If you're not part of the vine, then you continue. And you must continue to absorb the food and the nourishment that the vine provides. And it's a wonderful allegory. It's a kind of comparison between things to help us learn spiritual lessons. And he comes to that phrase that really got my attention and one that I think we take for granted I'd like to talk about today in the short time that I have, abide in me. He says in this particular verse, verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And I wanted to learn more about what that actually means to abide. There in his Greek lexicon. A lexicon or a lexicographer is a man who takes all these Greek words might be Hebrew if you're dealing with Hebrew words or Greek if you're dealing with Greek words. And he looks at all the different occurrences of these words and then he draws a definition from all of these uh, occurrences in which the word is found. And it's quite a remarkable study that scholars are able to do that and they give a definition of these terms. And this matter of abide in me, there, a very remarkable lexicographer tells us that it means do not depart. Do not leave. Remain under the influence of Jesus is the point that was made for the time. 
Brother Woods, an old friend of mine, made the statement in one of his commentaries, Only as one imbibes his spirit and submits wholly to his will does one truly abide in him. And when you begin to study this particular matter, you soon see that's really what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is telling his apostles to remain faithful and to absorb the food which he has given them, the spiritual food, so that they could grow and be more like him. But Jesus gives his own explanation of the matter in the chapter. If you'll notice in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So he gives an explanation of what it means to abide in me. It means more than just saying, well, I'm a Christian. It means more than just saying, well, I, I'm one who follows Christ. But it is one who remains faithful and loyal and obedient to the will of God and receives the spiritual nourishment which God has in individual so that they may survive. And these lexicographers, these scholars are trying to tell us to abide in me and to abide in the vine. The individuals, the branches, must be so connected with him that they're taking in the spiritual food that Jesus was giving. That's true today. Peter would use this kind of terminology, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. And it's an interesting Bible passage, and I'd like to read it for you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Uh, I've often thought, thought it interesting in 1 Peter chapter 2. The first point that he's making is you've got to clean up your environment. You've got to get your mind straight, your heart straight. You've got to get all those elements cleaned up. And then when you get all that cleaned up, you see, get rid of all the malice and the deceit and the hypocrisy, the envy and the slander. And when you get all that out of your heart and get all that out of your mind, then you're ready to receive like a newborn babe the sincere milk of the Word. And that comparison of babies and taking in milk as nourishment. So are we, especially as younger Christians, as infants in Christ, we absorb this food. And no matter what level we might be, spiritually speaking, and uh, as far as our maturity, the Word of God is described as that kind of milk. I want to understand what it means to abide. It's coming out from that the word abide in me is listening to the teaching of Christ, submitting to the commandments of Christ, following the will of Christ, absorbing the Word of Christ and the Word of God, and applying it to our lives. In First John chapter 2, I begin to read a little more about this matter, about verse 3. I'm to read this passage as it explains once again what abide really means. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. See, that's the point I'm trying to learn. Whoever says him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
Well, John's making it pretty clear here that this abiding in Christ has a special meaning. It combines ideas of my love for Him, but that necessarily implies my obedience of Him. And that, of course, involves my fellowship with Him. To abide in Christ, to abide in Him, John chapter 15, particularly verse 4. As he walks out of that upper room and he goes by that great vine, he says, now unless you abide in me like those branches are abiding in that vine, then you'll never survive. You can't grow spiritually. And you can't be the disciples that God wants you to be. To abide really does mean that I love Him, that I have this wonderful relationship with Him because of my obedience to Him. And you can't get around the fact to abide in Christ means to love Him. And you can't get around the fact to love Him means to obey Him. And it's only when we obey Him that we have fellowship with Him. I wanted to study about that. Why should I do that? And I found in this particular chapter, I'm in John chapter 15, particularly about uh, verses 9 on down through verse 13, where he talks about this matter. I, lo- I abide, abide in him because of his great love for me. And I don't know that I'm able to really express the great love of God. In fact, I'm confident that I can't. I can't express all the love that God has for us, but that certainly is his point. I abide in him because, because of his great love, God's love. And there's just no way to exhaust that great subject. As the Father has loved me, this is verse 9, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And I'll go on down through verse 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for His friends, verse 13. And I wanted to come to a conclusion as to why I should abide in him. And the obvious conclusion that Jesus is giving me here is because I have loved you and God loves you. Hereby, know that God loved us. John talks about that so much. 1 John chapter 3 talks about it in chapter 4. The great sacrifice of Jesus Christ for mankind. I don't know that there's any way, as I said before, to express the great love which God has for us. How can we express that love for Him? Well, his point is, we live for Him. And I think that's the point that John was making. John, 1 John chapter 4, it comes up in verse 11, and I'll read a verse or two about the matter. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, the motivation behind our following Him is the great love that God has shown for me. And that motivates me to love one another, as I really ought. I'm in verse 19. Verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, 
But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because, now that's our word there. Why do we do that? Because He first loved us. It's a motivation for us to love. The love of Christ constrains us, Paul said. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. God loves us so much, and we are motivated to love. To love Him by our faithful obedience to His will. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole to stretch from sky to sky. It's a poetic expression of the great love of God. God surely declares that love. He's given us that love, and there in turn, it is a great joy for us that we have the opportunity to be obedient to God and obedient to Christ. I think the passage that really helps us understand the great love of God and the great joy that is expressed in heaven based on our love for God is found for us in Luke chapter 15. I'd like to spend just a brief moment looking at that. And in those, that chapter you have three great expressions of the love of God and the joy of heaven when an individual properly responds to the love of God and abides in the vine. The first great uh, matter, of course, was the matter of the lost sheep. And the man went searching for the lost sheep. And when he found the lost lamb, he brought it back home. And he said to his friends, Call them all together. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. But he didn't stop there. He goes on and gives us a parable about the coin. And the lady sweeps the house and sweeps the house. She's looking for the coin, and then she finds the coin, and she rejoices over the finding of the coin Verses 8 and verse 9. Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that had lost. I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. But he didn't stop there. He tells us about a lost boy. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and now the lost boy. And that father sees that lost boy coming home. And what a reunion it is that he speaks of the matter But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and it is found. And they began to celebrate. Well, what do all these passages really mean, and how do they fit into our subject today of abiding in Christ? Well, the joy that is in heaven over people who hear the Word of God and repent of their sins and follow the Word of God and the commandment of God. The great joy that resounds in heaven. And he says it's like a a lost sheep. And he put that sheep up on his shoulders. He says that's the way it is in heaven. Why, when one repents and comes back to God, this matter of heaven's joy to abide in Christ surely causes us to want to remain faithful to Him regardless of the circumstances And regardless of the difficulties that we may face, it is a motivation for us 
to abide, remain, drink from the nourishment of the vine so that we can remain faithful in the sight of God. John chapter 15, this matter, verse 13 and 14. And he says something there that is remarkable. Greater love has no one than this, John 15, 13, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If you are my friends, if you do what I command you. You see, it shows a great love that one has to lay down one's life for his friends. I read the story of William Holesclaw. William Holesclaw was an individual who caught in a fire. And as he was caught in the fire, let me give you that uh, important point that I'm going to make. Uh, He grabbed his brother. And uh, by means of a rope-type deal, he was able to let tie it around his brother's waist. And he lowered his brother down from the second story, down to the ground for safety, though he, William, was being consumed literally by the flames at that time. His back was on fire, but yet he was lowering his brother to safety. You know, that's what love does for another. One is concerned about the love which he has and concerned about the other person. That somehow I try to come to understand the great love of God for me. I abide in Christ. I remain faithful to Christ. I drink from the nourishment of the vine because of God's love, because of heaven's joy, because of the sacrifice and the relationship which we have one toward the other. I'm in chapter 15, and I want to look at verse 14 and 15 in my exposition of these particular passages. No longer call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Isn't that amazing? The relationship there. I don't call you servants. Now I call you friends because of the close relationship that they have one with the other. Jonathan would give up the throne of Israel because of his friend David. The situation involving Sodom. Shall I hide from Abraham that which I do? Genesis 19, 18, verse 17. Because Abraham was the friend of God. James chapter 2 and verse 23. Why do we abide in the vine? Because of the relationship that we now enjoy with Christ Jesus. And it just really is a a great study within itself. To come to understand the relationship which I now enjoy. I'm in a new relationship with Christ when I obey the gospel of Christ. I've repented of my sins. I've confessed my faith. I've been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. And now I'm no longer out of Christ. I'm now in Christ and enjoy this new in Christ relationship. Which only obedience is about. I now have a new relationship. But I can destroy that relationship due to my unfaithfulness. And for that reason I must be very careful never to do that. I abide in Christ. What happens to me Even in the face of persecution, I will abide faithfully in Christ. And his point is made in verse 20 of chapter 15. Remember the word that I said to you. 
A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. You're going to face persecution. And he's telling us how important it is to remain faithful to Christ, even in the bad days. Oh, it's easy to remain faithful to Christ in the good days. But what about the bad days? Are we going to continue to abide in the vine and drink in the nourishment that the Son of God has for us to become faithful, loving Christians in that wonderful relationship, even though there's persecution that faces us? It's quite an easy thing that we can do that and say that in an environment such as this where we're all together and we all believe the same thing and we all believe how important it is. But what about the bad days? Peter and John faced bad days in Acts chapter 4, and they were thrown into prison because they were abiding in the vine. James, John's brother, was executed in Acts chapter 12, the first apostle to die. Paul sums up life as an apostle. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 9 through 13. It was a hard thing to be a Christian, and a hard thing to be apostle, an apostle. In New Testament times, but yet they were to abide in Christ even in the face of opposition and persecution. And he admonishes them as he walks out of that upper room, headed toward the conflict of the day, which would find itself in Gethsemane. And Jesus is saying, you see that vine, you've got to abide in me, even in the face of great persecution. I cannot help but think there'll be times when we are persecuted. Thankfully, we live in a day in a world in a part of the world which is very accepting. But there may come a time when all that changes, and we face physical persecution. Thankfully, I don't face physical persecution. It might be an emotion. It might be a kind of persecution whereby we face that's more like uh, rejection. It's not fun to be rejected. We want to be accepted. We don't want to rub anyone the wrong way, and we don't want anyone to rub us the wrong way. We, we want to be accepted by everyone. But to abide in the vine may bring rejection. Verse 20, remember the word that I have said, servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. There will be rejection. There will be rejection in your life. There was rejection of the apostles by the Jewish leaders. They rebuked them. Jesus rebuked them very strongly in Matthew chapter 23. Perhaps the strongest rebuke we find, verse 34. Paul goes to Antioch of Pisidia. I said a moment ago, Antioch's one of my favorite studies. But there's another Antioch to be considered in Acts chapter 13 and 46. And it's quite a different event that took place in Antioch of Pisidia, whereby the apostles were rejected on that occasion, and the message of Christ. It would be cast aside, God's message. 
people would reject it. They would reject it because they didn't like it. They would reject it because they didn't want to live the restrained, disciplined life that New Testament Christianity calls for. Not everyone, of course. Some uh, good soil would be found and the Word would receive uh, tender hearts and there in turn they'd be obedient to it. But everyone would not be that way. Sometimes you're going to face hatred. But we will still be called upon to abide in the vine, even if I face persecution, even if I face rejection, even if I face hatred. And that, I think, composes the bulk of the rest of this chapter. It comes on to about verse 18, but I'll just read a statement or two in John chapter 15 as I'm trying to go through the chapter and And help me understand to abide in me. Whoever hates me, verse 23, hates my father also. If I had not done among no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father, Jesus said. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause, verse 25. He's trying to prepare the apostles. He's saying, they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you because of the message of God. But don't think that an unusual thing. They hated me because of my father. And I have to stop and think just a little bit. Acts chapter 7. Stephen, preaching one of the great sermons of the New Testament, delving back into history and bringing all those wonderful matters up, bringing them to their minds and drawing the conclusion that this Jesus whom you crucified, you crucified the Son of God. And Luke, in very vivid terms and accurate detail, says they grind their teeth against him. The audience were filled with such emotion. The Jewish leaders were of such a fever and such a pitch that they carried him out of the town, and there they stoned him to death. And they laid his cloak at the feet of a young man named Saul. The angry mob stoned Stephen to death because they hated him. They hated his message. But yet the man would abide in the vine. And that's what it's going to take. Children of God are going to have to continue to be faithful and to drink in the teaching which God has given in the pages of his word regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the persecution that one might face, or the rejection of friends and neighbors that one might experience, or even in the face of hatred, one does not compromise his faith in Christ. He abides in Christ and follows the teaching of Christ. Jesus said these matters to forewarn them of things that was to come, This is John chapter 16. I have said all to you to keep you from falling away. Verse 1. I want you to know these things. Because the path that we're headed down is a serious path. And great suffering is going to come upon you. But it's essential that you abide in me.
Sometimes we look at these phrases from the Bible and we give it a passing glance. And we really don't study them carefully as we should. But I think that phrase, abide in me, is so telling and so important. You and I must get the understanding that Jesus is conveying to the apostles and apply it to our lives personally. If we fail to abide in Christ and remain faithful to Him, we'll in turn be lost. If we don't continue to drink in that wonderful teaching and that nourishment which God is giving us, we'll fall away. If we don't recognize that everyone is going to accept and embrace the teaching of God's Word and it will rub them the wrong way, we cannot allow that to affect us in our faithfulness. We must grow in faith and dedication. And the instruction the Word of God gives us strengthens and encourages us in that matter. Well, I'd love to go on into John chapter 16. It's a wonderful discussion. We've looked at it in an expository type of way, John chapter 15. And I hope that our discussion understand what it means to abide in the vine, to love and obey and have fellowship with Jesus Christ and never let that go. If you're not a child of God, don't understand what these passages are talking about. Perhaps you don't understand the rich fellowship that we as Christians enjoy in Christ Jesus and the wonderful relationship that we have with Christ as our Savior. You want to study more about that. We want to study with you. Study what the Bible says about the matter and to teach you how important it is to change your life and confess your faith and to be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. If you have done that, but you've been unfaithful, and you think to yourself, you know, I didn't realize how important this matter was. I need to repent of my sins. Then do that. It might require a public confession. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It might require just confession and repentance between you and God. Whatever the need, do it now. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.